uh, for the next month. And so this week we're going to take verses 1 through 5. Next week, uh, Mike Zins and I are going to preach through the entire chapter. And then the following week, uh, Chris Gonzalez is going to come and just teach on two verses for us as a way for us to engage with this text in a few different ways. And so we'll be spending some time uh, in this chapter, so I want you to get acquainted with it. Um, as you do that, uh, I want to give you a second to get there in your app, and your phone, and whatever it is that you use, maybe a good old fashion handy dandy Bible. Uh, I know it's archaic. It looks kind of like this. has a lot of words, a lot of pages. It's wild. Uh, but you can also have it on your phone and it works just the same. Uh, we'll be using the NIV version if you wanted to track along. But before we jump in, I want to read this quote from N.T. Wright. Uh, in it, he says, the Psalms I want to suggest here are songs and poems that invite us not just to understand the most ancient and relevant worldview, but naturally inhabit and celebrate it. This worldview in which, contrary to most modern assumptions, uh, God's time and our time actually overlap and intersect. God's space and ours overlap and interlock. And even the sheer material of the world is infused and suffused and flooded with God's own life and glory. Uh, he says this, the Psalms were indeed to help us understand this. They will help us understand this, but... It will be an understanding that grows out of a deeper and richer kind of knowing. Something that brings together the imagination, insight, and love. Uh, the idea that as you read the Psalms, you find in them the sort of literature that is both imaginative, right? It captures your imagination. It makes you think. It makes you dream. It makes you sense and taste and see and experience what he's talking about. But it's not just imaginative, it's also immersive. It's meant to wash over us. Uh, most of the psalms are written as songs, poems. And so you might think, yeah, that's not my jam. Like, I don't do songs, I don't do poems. Give me some of that Romans or, you know what I mean, something that's really dense. And I would argue that the psalms are just that, and probably more so what we need these days as we learn to be human in a deeply flawed world where God is still God, he is still a rescuing king and a savior and a mighty God. But he's also very present with us as people, uh, individuals. He's present with us as a community. And he's doing something throughout creation that we should marvel at as we look at the wonder of what God is doing. It should well up something inside of us, not just make us uh, want to study more for more facts, but be in wonder at who God is and how he's engaging with his creation. Like something should stir up inside of us that wants to experience that. So I'm not one of those people that says you have to know original languages in order to get anything from the Bible. If that was the case, uh, God did a pretty junky job of how he transferred this to us. Now, there is a richness. Like Psalm uh, 103 has 22 lines, and it's all about the complete worship of God. And it also, in this text, uh, 22 happens to be the number in the Hebrew, uh, number of letters in the alphabet. So even the number of lines reflect the number of letters, which show completion, which is incredible. But even if you didn't know that, this thing is going to have some good news for you. And so I want to read these verses again, and then we're just going to look at them uh, pretty quickly, but pretty intentionally. The psalmist writes, praise the Lord my soul, all my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord my soul and forget not his benefits. 
Uh, he's going to call us first to remember. And so that's the first thing is we're going to look at this. I, I want you to intentionally remember, to bring to mind this couplet, this flipping back of these verses. Isn't that he forgot what he wrote in the first one, so wrote it down again. But he's writing it in rhythm, in time, to get us to pay attention, to realize that he's saying something that he wants to get through to us. Uh, he's writing for himself, saying, this is what it looks like uh, for me to talk to myself. How many of you guys talk to yourself? Go ahead and be honest. It's a good thing. Psalmist is saying you should do that. You should probably talk to yourself far more than you listen to yourself. But when I talk to myself in a good way, in a healthy way, not in mumbling like turning in circles in my room, you realize that there's some pretty important truths you need to remind yourself of. Uh, the psalmist is calling us to remember on purpose because what? Why would he invite us to remember? Because we often forget. And for the, for the Hebrew mind, and even for us as we look at this, the idea of forgetting or remembering wasn't just details that might float out of my head or might, might come into my head, but what he's inviting himself to do, right? Speaking to himself, saying, I need you to remember this, to call to mind, to intentionally bring to mind these realities. So regardless of situation or circumstance or life stage or pandemic, not pandemic, or mortgage payment due, not mortgage payment due, health or not health, these are things that you need to remember, to bring to mind, because there will be times when all of us are tempted to live as if this were not true. And maybe not maliciously, maybe not intentionally to dismantle our understanding of God, but because we just focus on something else and forget these things to be true. And so he says, remember... That's what we're supposed to do. And then he goes to say, all right, where are we supposed to remember this? And the word he uses here is the word soul, right? Remember, praise the Lord, my soul. All my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not its benefits. He's talking to his soul. And that might seem weird. I mean, like if you roll up on somebody, right, and they're just mumbling to themselves, you're like, what are you doing? Yo, just talking to my soul. You, you might skirt a little wider than your six feet perimeter around him, right? Like, that's okay. It's understandable. But what he's doing is he's saying, he's talking to the deep parts of himself. He's saying that there's parts in me, deep in me, that often forget this truth, that often forget these things I'm about to say. The idea of soul uh, as it comes is the idea of breath. I don't know if there's any other time in our lives where we've been so aware of our breath as when we're wearing masks, right? And you're like, oh, that's always there. I get that now. Uh, it can also mean like neck or throat, but like this idea that right in here, our life force coming out of us, I need at the very core of who I am, my soul to know these things are true. Because very often in those deep parts of me, something else can become most important. That down in the center and center of who I am, I can very often forget this. And so you wonder, like, why do I go through life so lacking in joy, so disappointed, so distracted, so uh, living in a way as if Jesus wasn't really, like, I don't have joy. I feel bummed out. I'm always uh, looking and anxious and uncertain, and I don't feel like that's the fruit of the Spirit. What's going on? What I think the psalmist would argue, and I think Paul would pick it up at different points, Jesus talks about it, is that our heart might be centered on something else. And so our lips and our lives reflect that thing that matters most to us that is not God. And so in a life situation 
that seems uncertain, that seems insecure, not unlike the one we find ourselves in today, the psalmist is inviting us to praise God, to rejoice, to remember down in the deep parts of our heart, our soul, who we are at the core level, to remind ourselves of the things that God has done and forget not his benefits. That word, Lord, that's all caps in your Bible is the covenant-keeping name for God, right? That's, that's the name that is used of God that shows he is a faithful God. He never fails. It's his personally revealed name that you know you can trust. And so when they read that, the Israelites wouldn't just read a God. They would read my God. They wouldn't just read a God. They would read our God. This is the one who made the covenant, who keeps the covenant. Remember that. Even using that word would bring back those memories that they had to replay in their minds to be centered in the right way. It's the difference between reading uh, the word like dad and you're like a dad doesn't conjure up much memory. But when you talk about your dad, that brings back memories. Now, some of those can be good, some of those can be bad, but there's a very different flavor of feeling that goes with talking about your dad versus just the general topic of fatherhood. And so when they'd read this word, Lord, it would bring to mind all that God had done in being faithful in keeping the covenant, keeping his promises. And in that, it would start this surgence to be like, oh, yeah, no matter how extreme the outside things may be, the pressure outside may seem, the world around me swirling in chaos, there is something far more fundamentally true than just what's going on in the world. And so the psalmist says, praise the Lord, my soul. Remember this, praise him, and forget not all his benefits. And now the next few verses, I'm going to read through them and spend just a moment talking about each one. But here's what they're supposed to be like. This is not a comprehensive list of all that God has ever done that's going to take place in these next few verses. But they're meant to hit you like wave after wave in a good way. Not like the bad way where you try to go in the ocean and just keep getting slapped back, but in the good way where you're standing at the shore and wave after wave just continually hits the shore. And you're like, man, will this ever end? And the answer is no, right? Waves keep coming in. In the same way as the psalmist writes down these benefits, they're meant to hit our hearts, to overwhelm us, to saturate our souls with good news. Remember, self, this is what is true about all that God has done. And so I want to invite you, wherever you're at, whatever you came in, whatever weight, whatever confusion, whatever joy, let it be magnified. You're allowed to be happy and be even more happy when you walk out of this place. You don't, it's not like a transfer. You can't walk in happy, go out bummed. You come in bummed, go out happy. That's not how this thing works. Like, Jesus is here to encourage us. So hear this good news. He says, praise the Lord, my soul, forget not all his benefits. And so just for you guys, I want to list some of them out. Who forgives all your sins? Uh, do you remember what it was like to not be forgiven? Some of you have been following with Jesus for a really, really long time that you're like, yo, I can't even get back to that space. Other of you, it's fresh, and you're like, Oh my goodness, the ways that I have screwed up, fallen short, missed the mark, not been faithful to what God's called me to do. As he invites us to love him and love our neighbor, man, fail that on the daily. And he says, remember, this is the God who forgives your sins, who literally releases your guilt. 
who sees that, yes, you've screwed up. Yes, you've messed up. Yes, you've hurt others. But forgives that debt and takes it in himself. Who forgives your sins. Who heals your diseases. Some people ask, like, well, does this mean, like, spiritual diseases or, like, physical diseases? Like, is this talking about, like, spiritually where we get released from sickness that is in our soul? Or is this, like, our bodies getting released from sickness that is, like, in our body? And I don't really know that you need to differentiate the two. Like, your soul sickness, he absolutely heals that, restores you, takes what's broken and disintegrated because of the fall and puts it back together. He heals that. Like, that's real. He can take us as fragmented human beings and put us back in a way that's whole. But then he also heals our bodies. That's a real thing. So if you've been healed, was it the doctor or was it God? Yes. Um, Again, why do we have to separate those two out? God can give the doctor wisdom. He can also supernaturally heal. I think for each of us, if we've been sick or we've had a loved one sick and they've recovered, like, remember, it's God that brings health back to bodies. The verse doesn't promise that every time someone gets sick, they will also be healed in this life. It doesn't promise that. But it says when you are healed, remember who it is who heals you. I remember being a younger pastor, and we were in the middle of a prayer meeting that we had set aside to pray for a young woman who was in a coma, literally in a coma. And like, you can argue whatever you want to, right? So we're praying, and we said, all right, let's do an all-night prayer meeting for her because um, we just kind of believe that Jesus would do things like heal, right? And so we said, let's have an all-night prayer meeting for her. And so a few of us got together. We're in this great big room, um, and only a few of us showed up, and we prayed through the night. And it was during that night that she came out of her coma. Like, at one point, we got the text message saying, like, hey, she's out of it. I don't know if you guys are still praying, but you could probably go home if you want to. So was it the doctor's medicine drip that brought her out of the coma, or was it God? Yes. All I know is that we were praying at the exact same moment we were praying. She was released from a coma from a few days. And I'm sure if we went around the room on a different day where we could pass microphones, a lot of us would have stories of healing and rescue. Don't forget those things. In my life, has people always been healed? No, my dad died of a surgery that went bad. He wasn't healed. He didn't come out of his coma. But when people are healed, remember that. That's God at work, and it brings joy. And it builds trust where we say, God, I can trust you. So, like, I know you can do it, and if you do it, then it's for your glory. If you don't do it, that's a little harder to stomach, but I believe that's also for your glory. We're just going to need some time to work towards that. Remember that. That's true. Look back in your life. How many times have you prayed for healing and seen God come through? He keeps going. Who redeems your life from the pit. Who literally buys you back. Who goes out and extends of himself to get you out of the pit. Uh, This pit does not equal hell. Uh, Most commentators, most people writing about it would say it's literally just circumstances you get yourself into. Like when you're down, when you're low, when you have no hope. Have you ever been there? Like when you feel like there's nothing I can do to get out of this mess, out of this situation, out of my own head, and along comes God who rescues you up out of that, who takes you from the place that you were and puts you in a new place where you now are. He's saying, remember that. Remember the depth, the lowness, the the isolation, the loneliness of looking up and saying, I have no way out of this. 
But God reaches down and redeems you at cost to himself to pull you out of that. He's talking to Israel, right? So they would go back, yo, I remember Egypt when he literally took us out of that circumstance that we had no hope of getting out of. But that metaphor becomes the metaphor for the rest of Scripture, some would argue, where God is constantly taking us out and giving us new life. And so can you remember where he did that for you? Bring that to mind. Otherwise, something else will become a better savior. And we'll look to money, we'll look to sex, we'll look to relationships, we'll look to YouTube videos, something else to maybe get us out of our low. The psalmist was reminding us that's only present. Remember, God in his salvation is the one who does that for us who redeems your life from the pit. Oh, and by the way, he doesn't just pull you out of the pit and then say, have at it and go your way. But he does this next and crowns you with love and compassion. So the idea is that he pulls you up out of this pit, right, where you're low, you're dingy, you're dirty, you're isolated, you're on your own, you have no hope. And he pulls you out, reaches down, grabs you, pulls you up, puts you on the ground. And then when your feet hit the ground, right, he comes around you with compassion. Puts it on your head. Faithful love puts it on your head, crowns it with you, gives you a new identity as his child, right? He's given you that crown, and your new name is not screw up. Some of us get pulled out of pits. We get pulled out of situations, but that's what tracks around with us for the rest of our life, right? That's the identity that we then walk around with. Yeah, you're the one who did that fill in the blank. You're the one who was in that pit. This imagery, this picture, though, is that he pulls you up out of there, and then he crowns you, gives you that identity, and it's a faithful love and compassion towards you. Not where he constantly sees you as, you're the one who screwed up, but I guess he'll still let you come along. Sometimes we forget that. So, uh, all we need to break is be told something one time if it's negative, and that tracks with us for the rest of our life. And all this good news, we have to fight to remember for some reason. And the psalmist is talking to his soul, right, and saying, remember, this is true. You were in the pit. You were low. He rescued you. And then he crowned you with this new identity of a one who is loved and compassion. And if you're tracking, these waves just keep washing over you, right? This is one of those things, like, if you get it, you get it. But sometimes we hear it, but we still don't get it. And that's one of the hardest things about maybe teaching things like this is that, that I want for you and even the little bit of speck of eyes I can see to watch that soften as the Spirit says, this is what's true about you. Remember, this is your truest identity. You're deeply loved by God. Remember, this is your, who you really are as one rescued, not who one's still in bondage. Remember, this is who you are. Remember, this is what I've done. Remember, there's a better way to live. But we can't just bang it in. The Spirit has to work it in for us. But before I get to the last verse, I would just strongly encourage you, this is the sort of conversations we need to have with ourselves in front of God. Because in his presence, he works these things down from our heads to our hearts, right? From our minds to our souls, where they aren't just facts that we could regurgitate but what actually brings renewal to our heart, our mind, our soul. And if you don't know Jesus like that, that's really who he wants to be for you. Last verse. Uh, verse five. Who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. He's saying, soul, remember all these things are true about you. Remember what God has already done so that for the reason that 
your desires would be satisfied with good things. It's kind of like food, if you realize that there's a lot of things we can go to when we're hungry, isn't there? Like there's a lot of easy things that we can go to very quickly that are high in calories and absolute garbage for you to eat, right? Like you could eat an entire sleeve of Oreos and you'd get full eventually, but how would you feel afterwards? Or anybody ever make the mistake of still thinking Taco Bell is a good choice in life? Or you're like, what's a 20 count McNugget? Yeah, that's four bucks. I could do that. That seems like a good idea when you take that first bite. And then all of a sudden, you're no longer satisfied with the good things, but you're feeling sick. That gas station taquito, that is not a good idea. Not a good idea. But he says when we marinate, meditate, soak in, sit with these realities about who God is, it's like a meal that's both delicious and nutritious, right? It's like getting that perfectly balanced, flavored meal that will satisfy you. That's who God is. And as we are nourished by these truths about him, when we soak our feet in him, when we're digesting, when we're eating him, when we're enjoying him, then we're renewed and this image is like an eagle, right? Of vigor, of life, of stamina, of endurance. Isaiah uses the same language later on. It's this invitation as God's people to enjoy the energy to live in this world wisely, fueled by what is true about God and what he's done for us. So what am I supposed to do with all this? One, just let it wash over you. This is who your God is. This is what he's done. I invite you to actively remember on your own, jot down, think through, what has God done for me? How has he rescued me? And then two, reorient. Like the Bible gives us a story. It gives us the reality, things that are true about us, but they call us to respond, right? We need to react as if they're actually true. That's the idea of remembering is that we bring it to mind, but we bring it to mind so that we can act on it. And so we reorient in God's story as we're like, man, I have been living for something else. I have been living with something else that could satisfy. I really thought that this time my girlfriend, my boyfriend, my, this money, this promotion this degree, like that would be enough to make me whole. I really thought it. I don't know why, but this time I thought it again. And what this is, an invitation to reorient back around God as the only one who can satisfy us deeply. And then as we do that, the third response is one of rejoicing. So we remember, reorient, and then the overflow is what the psalmist started this all off with anyway. Rejoice. Praise the Lord, O oh my soul. When we sit and remember all those things, what escapes out of our lips and our lives is gratitude and joy and praise because we realize all that God has done for us and look with hope for all that he will do. And nowhere, I don't think, do we see that more explicitly than at the cross. What David saw maybe in black and white, we now get to see in 4K, because after Jesus, all this pops how much brighter that we have been rescued, that we have been set free, that we have been released, that we have been healed, that we've been crowned with faithful love and compassion, that he gives us sustained energy and stamina for the life that we have to live through the power, uh, not just of the idea of an eagle, but through the literal spirit of the living God. And as we soak in those things, 
What's the outward implication? We live lives that declare and demonstrate good news to others. And we'll send us out with that in the benediction. But I'm going to invite us, uh, Brittany, if you want to come back up. I'm going to invite us to go to the table and go and take the elements. There's juice in the back and little pieces of bread. And you can go back there. And if you're a follower of Jesus, I encourage you to take it. Go to your seat, and as you are led over the next song, feel free to take those elements on your own. The bread representing the broken body of Jesus, juice representing his blood. But as we do that, we remember what he has done. We again reorient in his story. Paul says that as long as we eat this bread and drink this wine, we proclaim his death until he comes. We rightly orient ourselves back in his story. And then we'll continue to sing two more songs in rejoicing, claiming that God is the faithful one that he claims to be, and there is not a single person that is beyond his grasp. So let me pray, and then I'll invite us to the table. Jesus, we're grateful for words penned so long ago that give us hope, that give us joy, that wash over us and make us aware of your grace once again. Now, Jesus, I ask for my sisters and my brothers in this room that this would be a moment in the midst of so many other sorts of waves washing against them where they find themselves renewed. That as they wonder if you're strong enough to rescue them out of the situations they're in, that they would hear these words of the psalmist saying yes. If they're wondering how you feel about them because they know the baggage they bring with them, that they would see the cross is more than enough to pay the penalty for their sin. And God, that as we look to do justice in this world and feel overwhelmed by all that is broken, by all that is not the way it is intended to be, that we would find ourselves fueled not by Instagram stories or news outlets or 15 second clips, but God, that we would be fueled by all that you have done, all that you are doing, and all that you have yet to promise. And then that sort of energy would compel us to be good neighbors. That sort of energy would compel us to run with endurance while we look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And that that sort of energy would cause us to soar. Jesus, we love you. We're grateful that you're here meeting with us. Even as we sing, would you remind us of things that are true and move our hearts to praise. We ask this in your name and by the power of your spirit. Amen. It was a few uh, months ago that there was the Barrett-Jackson car show. You can, uh, the Barrett-Jackson car show, you guys know what that is? We see all the fancy cars. Yep. Uh, Caden got to go with his grandfather, and so he was selling a few little things. Caden got to go hang out, and so while he was there, he developed a love of cars, and particularly two cars. Um, well, actually, it's like three, right? But there's two big ones. Yep. Uh, Dodge Chargers and Challengers, because they were being promoted like crazy there. You got to take a ride in one, and they'd whip you around a race course and throw your head around. Uh, and then what's the other one you like? A Camaro. Chevy Camaro was the other one that they, uh, I guess, were promoting because they stuck in his head. And so what happens is that uh, he remembers those things. He had this experience where he got to see them. They were joy-filled. They brought a ton of joy for him. So now whenever we're in the car, uh, we can't drive five seconds without hearing there's a Dodge or there's a Camaro, even if it's a Corolla. 
He's getting better at knowing which is which, right? But he's so stoked every time he sees one of those things on the road. And Dodge has pushed out so many Challengers and Chargers right now, you can't go anywhere without seeing them. A fun fact, we were in California last weekend, and uh, um, McLaren pulls up next to us, right? And he's, like, looking over the McLaren, which, in case you don't know, is a really, really fast car, a really, really expensive car, uh, to look for Chargers and Challengers. And I'm like, no, dude, like, that one could smoke any of those. Uh, but he was still looking for challengers and chargers because he knew they're out on the road. He looks for them absolutely everywhere. And when he sees them, they bring him so much joy. When we come to looking and telling our souls, hey, remember all the good things that God has done for you. What I would love for us to do is to have this experience with God, to be present with him, to realize all that he's doing in our life, to have that well up and bring excitement. But then as we go out of this place into our days, driving through, that as things come to mind and we see them in our life, other ways that God has brought rescue and joy and healing and salvation and liberation, that it does the same thing for us where it gets us all giddy again, all excited again, dare I say joy-filled once again to realize all that he has done and I promise you if you open your eyes and start looking through your days for things to be grateful for you will see far more of them than you even see challengers or chargers and that's the commission as we're sent out to have eyes open hearts open souls being reminded of God's goodness to us so that we can be good news people as we go out so here, I want to send us out. Would you all stand up once again and put your hands out, as we often do, to remember the good news. Amicio family, go now as God's dearly loved children, full of God's spirit, and be people who declare and demonstrate God's love to everyone he sends you to. Amen. Amen.